0: Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the bat and calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the bat and calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always through parables this fall and when I heard that that's what he was doing I asked him if I could speak on this parable Um, not only is this my favorite parable this is my favorite text in all scripture and so I actually at that time also asked Dave if I could preach two weeks in a row because I think there's so much here and um, so much for us to meditate on that I was afraid if we were trying to get through all of it today that maybe we would be here for hours and hours because (laughs) there's such a strong temptation for me to talk so much about this text that is my absolute favorite. So today we are going to focus on the younger son and his interaction with his father. And the next week, we're going to talk about the older brother. And sometimes when um, preachers are preaching on this text, the older brother doesn't get a lot of attention. But actually, I think his story is critically important and relevant to us. And so I'm excited for us to all um, have a chance to really take a look at that together next week. Well, this is a story about a lost And it got me back, thinking back about different times in my life when I have gotten lost. And one of the more memorable times was when I was five years old. My mom and I had flown from our home in Spokane, Washington, to Colorado Springs to visit a family friend. And there was a big mall that was just opening um, near these friends. Opportunities and promotions to celebrate the grand opening of this mall so these friends decided that this would be a fun thing for us to do while we were there so we went to this mall and it was absolutely streaming with people there were so many people there there was a high school band playing there were there was tons of great things going on <clears throat> at one point we wandered into a toy store and um all I remember is that I had found this wand with a purple star. kind of looked like that. I couldn't exactly find a picture. But anyway, <laughs> to my five-year-old self. It was so beautiful. And I just remember holding this purple star wand in my hands, really wanting it. And when I finally put it back down, I looked up, and I couldn't find my mom. And so I looked around the store for her, and I didn't see her. And So I left the store wondering if I could see her in the hallway, and I couldn't find her there. And not too far from this toy store was an Orange Julius. Does anyone remember Orange Julius fruit drink? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there was an Orange Julius, and actually there was a mall security guard standing near the Orange Julius. And so I knew he could help me. I went and told him I needed to find my mom. and I remember being, you know, a little worried, but I was pretty confident in this mall security guard that things were gonna go okay. And I found out later when my mom couldn't find me, she made her way to the mall administrative offices to try to figure out with them how they could find me. And finally, about 30 or 40 minutes later, And we got to go back to the toy store, and I got the purple
1: wand.
0: (laughs) Um, Anyway, so um, to me, again, it's a memorable story, perhaps because of the purple wand, but um, also because I separated from my mom. But my guess is that that story was a lot more haunting for her than it was for me. And the anxiety that might come with wondering if your child will return, and the intense feelings of grief and hope that would come in the midst of searching for your child. Well, in our parable today, the younger son is probably an adult, so it's much, much older than five years old. But certainly the father must have had some of those same strong feelings as his son took his share of his inheritance and headed out of the house. To be sure, what the younger son has done here is absolutely unfathomable and unheard of in their culture. Jesus is describing someone who has committed one of the gravest sins and asking for his share of the inheritance <clears throat> while the father is still living. The younger son is essentially saying, I wish you were dead. And again, in that culture where honoring your parents and in particular your father is so critical, to say something like this is absolutely unheard of. This request for inheritance and subsequent departure is an absolutely brutal and humiliating rejection of his father, of his family, of his home, and of his community. And so in talking about this, Jesus is making kind of two points. His first point is, what this younger son has done is absolutely awful. Has the freedom to ask for his share of the inheritance and he has the freedom to go to a distant land and he uses his freedom in this way. We are told he squanders his wealth on worldly living, which likely means uh, parting prostitutes, and at some level the son had to have believed that this wild living was going to deliver on some implied promises of joy and excitement and the good life. He was so sure that this was going to deliver on its promises that he literally bet his share of the farm on it. And it backfires. The son, who started out with dignity and respect and wealth and health and reputation, and relationship, and community, literally has gone to the all the way to the other side and has squandered and all of it. I don't know about you, but when I read this parable and I read about the actions of this younger son, my first inclination is to make a snap judgment that this guy is an idiot. Um, <clears throat> it is clear from an outside perspective that what the younger son's searching for in this good life is not going to be found. We know that the younger son, what he really longs for, can't be bought, even with the great inheritance that he has. But when we slow down to think about it, if we think for a moment, there are likely many ways in which we use our freedom to chase similar things. We might not be spending literally all we have on alcohol and prostitutes, but we are regularly tempted by the voices of our culture that tell us if we only achieve success at work, then we will be really valuable to our employer. Or if we can finally accumulate enough wealth, then we will have financial freedom and freedom from the anxiety of wondering if we're gonna be okay and the means to live the high life. Or maybe we believe the voice that says, we won't have to worry about being lonely or rejected and in response to these voices of our culture we find ourselves looking for value and love and affirmation in the places that it will never be found some of us here might look for that through hustling working hard and the belief that um, if we can work hard enough then it will all work out Others of us might respond by trying to escape uh, into our smartphones or our screens. Uh, This might end up looking like Netflix binges and too much wine. Perhaps it (coughs) it surfaces looking like an unconscious decision to be a workaholic instead of spending time with our family. Or this might look in our culture um, like trying hard to please others so that we can finally win the approval that we're looking for. But whenever, whenever it is, when we seek this approval, affirmation, worth, wealth from the world around us rather than God, it is in that moment that we find ourselves outside of the house of our Father and in a lonely, lonely, The younger son eventually realizes that this wild living isn't delivering on the promises of a good life, or at least his experience of a good life was pretty fleeting. <clears throat> his money is gone. He finds himself hungry and likely homeless, deprived of basic human needs. And he realizes that the owners of this pig farm that he's now, don't even value his life as a fellow human being as much as the pigs that are getting the food that this guy would have. And in that moment, the younger son feels the profoundness of his isolation, this deepest loneliness and lostness that one can experience. <clears throat> well, a few weeks ago, I went with a friend to an event where Jen Hatmaker, who's a Christian author and speaker and a who is a Christian singer and songwriter, were um, <coughs> on stage together. And one of the songs that Nicole Norton sings is the song called Hush. And there's a line from the song that um, has continued to play on repeat in my mind in the few weeks since i heard it. And it talks about um, sinking in the ocean and God grabbing her in the undertow and bringing her to a safe space for healing and that imagery seems to fit the condition of this youngest son he has hit rock bottom he is literally dying from starvation and it's in this He remembers that his father gives plenty of food to his hired servants. He remembers that he is the son of his father, and he remembers that his father's character is kind and generous. Last summer, while we were on vacation, Bill and I watched um, The Lion King with our kids for the first time, classic 90s Disney movie. And um, we were more into it than they were, which felt kind of sad. But um, anyway, there's a great scene in that movie that kind of illustrates this kind of critical moment of remembering. Okay, so it's been a while since you've seen it. Simba's father dies. Simba runs away. The years pass. Simba's evil uncle is destroying the kingdom. And then Simba has this kind of experience with his late father, and um, in that, his dad says to him, You are more than what you have become. Remember who you are. You are my son. Remember who you are. And it's a significant scene in that movie because it's the turning point where Simba one of our main human tendencies. So often we forget who we are. We forget what we've been created for. The term remember actually occurs over 200 times throughout the scriptures. And it's interesting because when the term remember is connected to God, the Bible reminds us that God remembers. This is not a God who forgets, God remembers God remembers his promises. Every time remembering is associated with God, it's to tell us that God is a God who remembers. But every time remembering is associated with God's people, it's because God's people have forgotten who their God is. And so there are many exhortations for God's people to remember who God is and to remember who they are as God's people. And that is what is, happening here in this critical moment for the younger son. Just this last week, I was talking with my sister on the phone, and she said something um, that kind of pressed one of my buttons in insecurity. She didn't mean to. She probably didn't even know it at the time. But it was one of those moments where all of a sudden the conversation just turned. and I wanted to get off the phone immediately. And as I was reflecting on that conversation, it occurred to me that what she kind of inadvertently said made me forget uh, who I was and who I know that I've created to be, and it made me in that moment feel like, oh, I should be chasing all these other things. And it took having to like actually take a moment to sit there and remember for me to be free from this anxiety and this insecurity that came up so So often we forget, and yet we are called to remember. The younger son remembers. He remembers, and this remembering empowers him to make his return. And in that moment, he chooses life. The father says at the end of the parable that the son is dead, was dead, and is alive again. Those listening to the story as Jesus was telling it may have connected this line to a well-known passage in the Old Testament. Toward the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the Israelites after they have been faithful and following the terms of covenant that God has made with them. And Moses says this to them. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. That you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The younger son comes to his senses. He remembers and he chooses life. And it's in that place that he begins to make the long journey home. He formulates a speech, and he's hopeful and optimistic that his father will accept him back as a servant. Well, this isn't meant to be a heartwarming story on its own. This parable, I believe, is meant to give us real hope. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, uh, we read that Jesus is telling this parable primarily to sinners and tax collectors, but also that a group of Pharisees, the religious Now, the tax collectors in that time, in that culture, are literally taking the inheritance from their fellow Jews, their fellow brothers and sisters. They are collecting taxes, but they're telling them that they actually owe more tax than they do, and they're keeping a difference. And because of that, they were despised by their fellow people. And sinners in that time is just a generic term for people Had decided to abandon the law of God and to go at things in their own way, to kind of walk away from the the house of their father. And so, as Jesus is telling the parable, the tax collectors and the sinners know exactly what's going on here. They know they are the younger son. But this is not a parable that's meant to shame them or condemn them for the lives that they've lived. This parable is a parable of hope, and they know it. Imagine to be them sitting there in that moment, being told that they not only have the opportunity to make a return, but that when they return, instead of being received in the way that they assumed they would be received by their own people saying, no way, there's no way you can be part of this community again after who, what you've done, but instead to hear that their Heavenly Father is waiting to say welcome home, that would be an incredibly amazing moment of hope for these people who desperately needed it. The Father does not allow the son back only on certain conditions. The Father doesn't require the son to work off the debt. The Father isn't even concerned with hearing the son's speech, that. The father simply sees that the son has decided to return and that is enough to get the father running towards his son. The younger son probably can't believe that there are no strings attached to this return. My guess is that it's hard for us to believe that there are no strings attached to that kind of return either. When confronted with such an overwhelming display of compassion, And yet what Jesus is declaring here is that God wants to put on us a robe of honor and a ring of inheritance. God longs for us to take our place as his sons and daughters back at his home. He wants us to know the joy and the relief and the peace of being a cherished member of his family. And he wants us to know that nothing can jeopardize our right to be. And so just to, like, make sure this point is clear, the father throws a huge party. Uh, he wants everyone in the household to rejoice and share the joy that his son has come home. This is not a cautionary tale against parties. You might think that if you just read the first part <laughs> about squandering money on alcohol and wild living. No, the father is about great big parties. There is a celebration, and rightfully so, because the son has come. And so he wants everyone to share in that joy. And the same is true for us. God invites us to share in his joy. We can rejoice with God when we find ourselves ready to return. We can rejoice when we see others return. This parable <coughs> tells us that we are called to be people who throw parties and who welcome others home. Um, the mission statement of Renewed, which we... Um, to say a lot so that it can be people who remember and live it out, Um, is that we are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhood. And as I was thinking about the younger son and his interaction with his father, I started thinking, what if we were a community that became known as a group of people who remember who we are, who show this radical compassion to people who return home, who rejoice and throw parties where all are welcome. That's the way of life we see clearly in the life of ministry of Jesus, and that's the good news that Jesus calls us to proclaim for ourselves, to know for ourselves, and for those all around us in Linwood and Seattle and beyond. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story, uh, for this parable. And more than that, Long for us to to return home as your sons and daughters to take our place in your family. God, may we know that. May we remember who we are. May we remember your compassion and generosity. And may we be people who display that same compassion and generosity, who rejoice and share in your joy. at all moments, for all returns.